Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Now more than ever, we need our declaration. Amen? All right, let's say it. I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in His presence is where I live. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so um, I don't know if I told you this. Um, I might have told you this already, but it, it, I've, I've told other people, but I'm not sure if I shared it in the congregation. So um, in, for the last uh, for two years, it probably ended, I think, in this last November, but for two years I had been in um, a discipleship program with uh, six other guys from across the, all over the United States from South Carolina to uh, all over. Anyway, and uh, uh, so uh, that finished in November. <coughs> it was a it was a really phenomenal time, uh, just uh, growing and with uh, these guys and the leader we had. His name was uh, Dave. Absolutely phenomenal. I hope at some point uh, he's just in Fort Wayne to get him to come and share. I mean, just such a father's heart, such a, a grandfather heart type of a person that uh, he, he just oozes the love of God. Uh, so hopefully um, I can work it out to have him come and share with us on some Sunday. But um, I was, uh, so I've been in this, and so that ended, and so uh, I'm, I'm still a part of, uh, of uh, an organization, a discipleship organization. We are. And um, uh, so there's lots of things. So I, I jumped into another uh, thing that meets twice a month, and we were sharing about um, what our churches are doing in this new year. And, and as you guys know, I felt the Lord give me this, the theme for this year is really awaken, right? And with them, awaken is, is engagement. And so as I was talking, they're like, what's going on in your church? And I'm like, oh, things are going good, you know, blah, 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 small stuff. But I didn't talk about any of this this stuff that I talk with you. And then I started listening to the other people talking about their, what they're doing for prayer and stuff like that. And I said, you know, I, I got to share with you, I guess, um, here's what we're doing for prayer. Here's what the word that we felt that we had uh, for the year. And then here's what we're doing in prayer. And um, the leader is a guy of, uh, who, who uh, pastors a church that has several um, different places throughout Fort Wayne. But he was talking to me, and this is, this is the significance uh, of what he said and what he shared. And this was this. He's like, he's like, so I said, we're praying from March 1st to March 31st, and we're, or 30th, actually, and we're taking an hour, 24 hours of prayer, and people will take an hour, and that's what we're doing. And, he, and, uh, and he's like, and he looks at me, he goes, so hold on, let me make sure I understand this. He's like, so if I choose an hour... I'm praying that hour for, for 30 days. And I'm like, yeah. I said, I know, it's a big ask, but we don't do it every year. Uh, but we do it when we believe it's significant. And he's like, wow. <laughs> and these was what, this is what he said to me. He's like, you know, I got to tell you, I said, he said, um, with your theme and what you're doing, he goes, it has all the earmarks of revival. Yeah. Honestly. Now, he doesn't know. I haven't shared with him everything that the Lord has, I feel the Lord has spoken. And, and listen, let me just say this. Some people get tired of hearing the word of revival because they don't think they see it. Okay? But this is what you have to understand, that the Lord is long-suffering when it comes to his promises. Okay? And so, if we believe he said it, and I believe he has, then you can bet that it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow. But there is a time between what God calls and when God releases something, and that's a time of preparation for his people. 
Maybe we couldn't handle revival right now. Maybe we couldn't host it like it's supposed to be hosted. Maybe if God poured out his spirit right now, maybe it would only last two weeks. But maybe he's desiring something that spreads beyond years. Maybe it's almost like a, instead of uh, God, a visitation, maybe God is really desiring a, a habitation amongst his people. And a habitation, okay, yeah, you can clap about that. But a habitation where God, where God just seems to rest in a place. His presence seems just to rest here corporately among his people. We know he rests in us individually. But there's something that happens when people come together where the, where the, when the glory of God descends that I don't believe that he desires to be in a place for a few weeks, a few months, or four years. I, I think what he's desiring is getting people used to God's presence just always here. And, and like I talked about last week, our, our desire is to host that well, okay? So what that means is that whatever you believe is probably going to change. And if you're not willing to change, then you're not going to be ready to host what God wants to do. Does that make sense? I'm including myself. I got I to gotta change some things, some, some thinking, some thinkings that are back from years ago of how to do things. I've got to be ready to change because he's doing new things, people. And if we're stuck in old ways, we'll never get to new things. This is why Elisha has to burn the plow. This is why Elisha has to burn the plow, because he's not going back to it. When he meets Elijah and, and they're having that conversation, he's burning the plow, which, which is a sign that he's probably got some money, he's got some land, but he's walking away from what he has to embrace what God has said or God has declared. And notice that Elijah doesn't help him get there. The decision has to be his to lay everything down. No promises, except that you're going to carry the mantle. No promises of this is your best life now. No promises of that you're not going to suffer. But the promise is that the presence of God is always going to be on your life, and you will be marked by it. Yay. Okay? Now, so as I've talked to him, and he's saying, this, this has all the earmarks. He's like, when, 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 he's like, when Christians repent and lay their life down, God, God honors that. And so part of revival, let's prepare right now. Part of revival is repentance. It's actually a major part is repentance. Oh, there's, there's signs and wonders that come, but God is not, I don't believe God is interested in signs and wonders that are not accompanied with repentance and evangelism. Because they didn't stay in a synagogue hoping God would do stuff. The signs and wonders were upon their life as they went out and did the work. Now, I get it. They were in Jerusalem for a while. But persecution had to come to drive them out to go. And they went. And signs and wonders happened. And the prophetic words that were spoken of their lives came to be fulfilled. And every one of them, except one, died a martyr's death. Hallelujah. That's a, that's a gift, by the way. All right. So, what we do is not just a tradition. We don't pray. We don't seek the heart of God because, well, that's, that's what we always do. That's like, uh, you know, taking communion, right? Well, it's just what we always do. Maybe you came from, from traditions a long time ago and uh, communion was just something you did. It was, it was, it was like, a, it was just, just something you did, but it had lost its meaning. So people were coming and drinking their juice, or in some of your traditions, wine. I remember my dad went to take uh, communion at my brother's church. I don't know if it was Denver or Houston, like back in the 80s. And I think it was a Lutheran church that my brother was attending at the time. And we all went, and my dad, because he had Lutheran strings from years and years ago, was going to go take communion. And he took communion, and he came back, and we got in the car, and my brother said, well, what did you think of our church, Dad? He's like, well, it was great, but wow, I wasn't expecting wine, right? <laughs> He's like, wasn't prepared for the wine, right? How significant that is in God's people today. They're not preparing themselves for the new wine. 
that God wants to pour out in their lives. Oh, it's coming. People get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no ticket. You just get on board. Well, there is something coming. Uh, and we believe it. So what we do uh, when we're faced with the fact... Now listen, it, I'm, you all know this. We're tired. We're tired. We're a little weary. Some of you who are older... We're tired. Feels like we've been praying. It feels like prayer is just like, you know, when you walk in marshes and you got all this mud and, or for our case, the farm, all the cow droppings. You take a step and your foot sinks and you take your foot out and the boot stays. You know, it's like walk, prayer sometimes is like walking and that sort of stuff. It doesn't feel like, it feels like the heavens are brass and you're not breaking through and nothing's happening. And, and it's, and I'm going to tell you something that is the training ground of prayer warriors right there. It is the training ground of prayer warriors. Those who will refuse to be denied what they believe that God has spoken into their hearts. Watchmen on the wall. You know, we talk about that term sometimes, this idea of watchmen on the wall. Prayer, well, you know, being a watchman on the wall is lonely. It can be tough. I get that. And sometimes you're praying, and sometimes, you know, whether it's your flesh or the enemy, because you've got both working against you. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Is it really working? God, are you even listening? We're not seeing things happen, God. It's, it's not happening like we thought it would. And I, I'll tell you what, whenever you come in to a prayer session and you have your own preconceived ideas of what it's going to look like, you're going to be profoundly disappointed. Because what we think is going to happen is almost never what God is going to do. And that's mostly because when we walk into situations like that, a lot of times it's our pride speaking. And God resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. And so prayer is one of those things that we talked about last week. Uh, One of the things that prayer does is it brings us into position of being humble before the Lord. I don't pray because I got it. I pray because I need it. Okay? All right, so let's talk about a little bit of prayer. So uh, let's look into... um, So I was excited about that, what he said. It kind of, you know, when your battery's low, and it's kind of like a jumper cable to your spirit. When people that you come into that don't know the other people who you've talked to are saying kind, kind of the same things. Listen, if you're looking at the reality of what's going on, like we talked about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, when you're looking at what is your reality and, and it doesn't look like what you've been promised from the spiritual realm, you've got to not live like what you see is real. You've got to live by what God has said is real because your mountain can be moved through faith. Okay? Y'all hearing me? I got to tell you, I was struggling on worship today. I felt there's such spiritual warfare going on with me of trying to lift my heart and praise to God. And there's so much, you know, it was, it was tough. My, my guitar stinks. I'm playing the wrong notes. Let's just put on some videos and be done with this, right? Because YouTube can do it a lot better than I can, right? I'm just being honest with you. If we don't be honest, that the fact that we're struggling, that whether we're lonely and we're depressed or we're hopeless or any of that kind of stuff, if we can't be honest with each other about what we're struggling through, then we can't get to <coughs> the prescription or the, the cure of what we need to rise above it. <coughs> and the cure is each other. The cure is walking in unity and, and being honest with one another and say, hey, how was your week today? Oh, it was good. How was yours? Good. No. My week was horrible. You'll know who your friends are because your friends will say, man, talk to me about it. Other ones who are just looking for, you know, the pleasantries, like, oh, sorry to hear that. And they're, you know, skirting around trying to find someone who's happy. I get that. There, there's some people out there like that. But, but for the most part, when, if you can't be honest and say, I'm, I've been struggling this week. I've been wondering if God is really listening. It's like, man, I've been there. And let me tell you something. This is why God asked me how you were doing. 
to encourage you and to strengthen you and to pour into you. Because I struggled two weeks ago and this is what God did for me. Right? Encouraging one another. Okay. So, uh, so it excites me that the people are saying, now listen, I, I, I'm getting out of my preconceived ideas or notions of what revival looks like because the only revivals that I have acute um, experience with are growing up in the Nazarene church. And we would have, uh, throughout the summers, you'd go two-week revivals where you'd, you'd come to church every single night. Those weren't bad. Those were, those were good. Those were fun. Um, and, you know, there's praying people at the altar, all 12 of them. And, and you know, just, you, you could sense that there was stuff going on there. But, but that was, wasn't enough. That's kind of like sometimes going to an event, feeling happy, but not, not really knowing what to do when you get back home or how to apply what you've experienced because home hasn't changed even though you have. See, when you come off the mountain, there's still the valley. And so the, the trick, if I can use that word, is to not leave the mountain on the mountain, but to capture the mountain, have it living within you, and then taking it to the valley. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that you're not going to... It means that your, your view has changed about what the valley is about. <laughs> because the valley is not supposed to be a place, <coughs> or the desert, if you will, is not supposed to be a place where you go and die. The desert is supposed to be a place where you go and train for what you've experienced on the mountaintop. And if you stay true, what you'll begin to find out is that the desert will turn into a valley that will become something that will produce good things for people around you. So the mountain can change the valley if those who have been on the mountaintop will take the experience and begin to transform their desert into a valley. Because there's nothing much that lives above the tree line. Not even mosquitoes. Nothing much lives above the tree line. But the valley is a good place. The problem is, is, is we're having a hard time finding valleys. Everything that we go to feels desert-ish. That is because that the devil has prophetic words for people too. And a prophetic plan. And his prophetic plan is steal, kill, and destroy. So whenever you get a little bit of something moving, his plan is to destroy that. To destroy it. And so here's our reaction. When the devil comes along and we, we've, been, we've been on the mountaintop and la da da we're feeling good, all of a sudden, <coughs> you know, the, the desert that we're going back to <coughs> is, is, is coming back into our mind and, oh, I'm not going to let that happen this time and blah, blah, blah. And sooner or later, one week, two weeks, and all of a sudden it's, yo, heave, ho. Right? Right? And you're struggling. It's like, oh, man, I want to go back to the mountain. Mountain's not a place to live yet. Your desert is what needs to be transformed. And your desert only gets transformed by you first believing that it can be transformed. Because if you don't believe that your desert can really be transformed, you'll keep running to the mountain to try and live, and it doesn't work. Because he hasn't called you to live on the mountain yet. He's called you to transform the desert into a valley. Because the valley is not, not just for you. The valley is for others. And now when you talk about cities, certain cities, Clinton, whatever. We've talked about that before or whatever. Not what it used to be. Seems like a desert. Seems like a struggle. Or maybe it's your community, wherever you're from. Seems like it's just hard. <coughs> things ain't what they used to be. That's okay. That doesn't mean things aren't going to be what they should be. And so sometimes we're faced with, man, everybody's heavy, everybody's depressed, nothing's really happening. You know, there's a few bright spots, but they're not transforming a city. It's just like a little hub. Okay, we need hubs, but we can't stay at hubs. We're looking to turn the desert into a valley that produces good things for everybody, even, even the unjust. Not just for believers, but transformation that's even going to affect non-believers. Does not the rain fall on the just and the unjust? 
So should not the glory of God? Now I get it. Not everything, not everybody's going to get saved, but I'm telling you what, when people start experiencing some of what's been on that mountain, they're going to want some of that for themselves. You have to be outright rejection mode to not want when God's glory comes. And there are people that are like that, but I'm believing there's far more people that because they just haven't experienced the truth of who God is, is why they're not entering in. So we start calling down the mountain and transforming our desert. They're going to be like, oh, this is different. What is this? Oh, this is the spirit of God, baby. And you, you just getting a taste of it. It stirs something in there because most people are longing for something divine. <coughs> it's, it's in their heart. Eternity is in the hearts of people. And they're, they're longing for something that's beyond. What, and this is why it's, it's tough being a non-believer or an atheist. Because there is no hope. This is all you got. And then there's nothing. But my hope is not just that there is, there is heaven that I'm going to go to someday. My belief is that some of heaven is going to come to where I'm at while I'm living in this realm. You have got to believe that or you'll never make it in the desert. You first start by creating an oasis. <coughs> an oasis. Where you, you've seen the oasis in the desert? <coughs> The desert can be so hot and so dry that it can trick people into seeing an oasis that's not really there. We call it a mirage. Are you spiritually understanding what I'm saying? Because there are a lot of mirages out there that call themselves churches. And we don't want to become one of those. We want to be the oasis that has the real living water. And that oasis, we want to see grow and start changing, changing the desert. Okay? And we... We live in desert places. And we have to be honest with that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a desert in, you know, spiritually speaking around here. But, and there are some oases, not just us, but there's some oases out there. But we're believing that God is wanting to take the few oases and transform the desert of where we live and make it lush. Amen? Okay, so how do we begin to do that? First of all, we're talking about faith, right? <clears throat> We got to have faith. And my faith is not dependent on whether I see it in my generation or not. Because if it is, and I'm starting to get older, and I don't see it, guess what's going to happen? It didn't happen. So there's things that your faith will unlock for you now, but you have to be of the mindset that some of the things that you're believing for are for the next generation that's coming, and you can't give up on that just as much as you can't give up on what he's promised for you today. <coughs> this is why sowing seed into the next generation is so important. <coughs> I didn't cough a lick at all until I stepped on this platform. It's the weirdest thing. Didn't cough while I was singing. None of that. But it ain't going to shut me up. All right. Okay, so let's talk. So we have, we have to have faith, but a faith in what? Faith in what God has said, faith in God's word. Next, what's going to strengthen us, obviously, faith is going to strengthen our prayer. Prayer is going to strengthen our, our faith. It's, it's, it keeps working back and forth. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we'll get the, the holy spit flowing here. I said spit. Okay. Just making sure y'all heard that. All right. What did he say? Okay. So go to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to talk about some things of prayer. Now listen, it's not that prayer was foreign to the disciples. They would have grown up in prayer, and there will be the forms of prayer that they had probably when they went to a little bit of rabbinical school before the, those guys got kicked out. So those little young boys probably would have had a chance to be selected. They didn't get selected, and now they're back, you know, fishermen or whatever. They're looking for something. Jesus comes. That's why when Jesus comes to them and says, come and follow me, they understand what that means because that's what their rabbi would have said when he chose them as disciples. Come 
come follow me, be my disciple. Then they would have come and lived with him, taken, become like him, listened to everything he had to say and teach and been be able to say that. So Jesus <coughs> is using terms to draw those people in. <coughs> and I love that he didn't call um, the rabbis. He called those who were forsaken, even by their own people. to come and be his disciples. It wasn't an easy road, but it had to be exciting at being chosen. Because for the most of their life, they would have been rejected. They wouldn't have looked upon as being favorable or having much status. But their status is now coming from whom they're with, the Messiah. And his walk for three years with them is going to change a lot of things. And this is why... They have so much wrong belief in the beginning and it's hard to get out because he's teaching them about who truly God is. Now, one of the things he's going to do is he's going to teach them in Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> it says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Um, so when you look at verse 1 through 4, he's talking about your charitable deeds, right? So when you look at Matthew, there's going to be a lot of, there's some compare and contrasting going on here in what we would call Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? The Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, all that, which is probably the most powerful sermon that he ever preached. And so he's making a contrast like, listen, this is what's the, I'm just, Steve's version. This is what, the religious people do. Don't do that. Here's what I've called you to do. Do that. <clears throat> and so you'll see like, <clears throat> hey, you, you, when you do your charitable deeds, don't do them like these guys over here who want to be seen. Do these things in secret. Now, as he goes down, he looks at, uh, in chapter 5, he says, now, now we're going to transfer that like when you pray. Now, when you pray, he's like, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, hypocrite, the best definition is a pretender or an actor on a stage. Because the actor is pretending to be something that it really isn't. And I loved being a hypocrite in college and community theater. I loved acting. It was so fun. <coughs> I'm not saying I was good at it, but I, I loved to do it. <clears throat> what he's talking about here is kind of along the same line. There are people who are pretending to have a relationship with God, and they're trying to prove that to you by the things that they do. Don't be like that. As a matter of fact, and one of those things comes in the form of praying. When you pray, you are not to be like the Hebrews. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. In the what? In the what? Which is a what? A chia, basically. They love to stand in the synagogues, or dare I say in today's realm, churches. <clears throat> and they go out on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So whatever thing they were praying for, thinking they were going to get an eternal reward for, they're not getting that because their reward is being seen by people and being admonished and loved by people. Oh, did you hear <coughs> Rabbi so-and-so pray? <coughs> I just love it when he prays. I love it when, you know, blah, blah, blah. It seems the heavens just open. And, oh, Rabbi, we love you, we love you. Yes, 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 I've been praying for a long time. The, the, the piousness, the false humility that comes from uh, leaders. And Jesus is saying, that's their reward. I don't care if they've been praying for eight hours. If they're bragging about it, if they want to be seen by people, their reward is their acknowledgement by man. I would rather be acknowledged by God. I don't know about you. Right? So he says, but you, when you pray, you go into your secret place. Closet, home office, <clears throat> right by your bed, whatever you got. <clears throat> you go into your secret place and you pray in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some of your things say openly. But your Father who sees the secret will reward you for your prayer life. 
So there's a difference, is there? You can pray like a religious man in which you will get your rewards from that, or you can pray in secret. This is what praying in secret does. <clears throat> praying in secret <clears throat> is really getting honest and intimate. You're outside, you know, and you're outside praying on a street corner, staying up in church, just unloading or whatever. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying prayer in church is wrong. I'm talking about two drastic examples here, okay? So it's not that prayer in church is wrong, but we're talking about religious people who love to be heard, okay? Now, what praying in secret does is it, it heightens the level of intimacy and on, honesty between you and the Spirit of God to whom you are praying to. So as I'm praying today, I'm just using it as an example. Example. As I'm praying today and I'm on the stage, I'm, I'm in confession mode for me. I'm in confession mode for me. Like, God, you know, <clears throat> I've had maybe the wrong <clears throat> ideas or maybe I've been doing too much on my own. <clears throat> or maybe I haven't, <clears throat> maybe I haven't been um, relying as much on your spirit as I've needed to be. I'm, I'm confessing things that I'm feeling that God is bringing up in my life. If I want revival, I got to get honest with me and God as well as you. Because your personal revival is probably going to start from your secret place. <clears throat> and what happens in this place will probably be an overfill of what has happened in your secret place. Okay? Now, <clears throat> So, uh, you go into your secret room, you shut the door, you pray to your father's in secret place, your father will reward you. Who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, he says, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Now, if you do any kind of, like a cultural background Bible or any kind of study Bible, you will know that uh, <clears throat> many of the people that would have been praying, heathens or Gentiles and stuff like that, Many different gods, many different repetitions, repetitions of prayers, and your prayer and the success of your prayer depended upon your ability not to convince the divine. Right? Oh, we gotta, we gotta whoop it up. <clears throat> we gotta, we gotta. Come on, let's all start doing what we need to do. You know, trying to, trying to how would you say, almost like try and supercharge the room emotionally and getting people frothed up to try and get God to do something. God doesn't need your high energy. I'm not saying there's not high energy prayer services, but I want the ones that come because God has poured his spirit out and we didn't do anything. You know what I'm saying? I'm not looking for somebody who's good and skilled at manipulation to get us to do something that produces no change in our life. Just, it, it was just like a drug that made us feel good for five minutes, but then the drug went out. <clears throat> and now you're always looking for more of the drug instead of the real thing, baby. Because when the spirit pours itself out, the spirit pours itself out and the spirit brings change. You cannot deny when God has showed up on the scene because it's marked, earmarked with his presence. And his presence is holy awe, holy fear, and abundance of, of supernatural things that happen, but producing change in the lives of believers. There are a type, a group of people <clears throat> You, that would be defined as hypocrites that are always talking about change and what God has done, but it's not evident in their life, right? But they're chasing mountaintop experiences, but it hasn't moved down into transforming their desert yet. So they try to manipulate a type of spiritual high, which is actually a denial of where they actually live. Am I making sense? So they're saying, oh, man, it's so horrible there. But, hey, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm whoo. And they're so unattainable. You, you can't relate to that because nothing is ever wrong in their life, which is not true, but it becomes a facade and a hypocritical facade. 
Okay? I don't want that either. And I've been around it a lot in, in my times in church. I've gone to places in, where people are, I, I mean, I won't even go there. But you know what I'm talking about because you have been there too. And we've done our best not to allow that in the pulpit. I'm not saying, but listen, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> I think when God moves, I think this place will be wrecked. I do. I believe it'll be a holy wreck. It won't be manipulation or intimidation, but I think when God's presence truly decides to fall in this area and on our church, I believe that the altar will be full of weeping people crying out to Him. Something maybe you've never really truly experienced fully in your life on that level. I did once. Once. I'm not saying I've never cried before, but the type of, of move that I'm talking about, I experienced that once in my life. And I'm, I'm ready for God to do what he wants. Now, because uh, <clears throat> so they think these people, these heathens that pray, they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. So therefore, he says, don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you come to him in prayer, okay? This, this tells you something, that sometimes we who have grown up from a Wesleyan point of view probably have a hard time sometimes in really locking into the sovereignty of God, that he really knows everything I need, that sometimes it's dependent on me. <clears throat> and to an extent, there are things that I have to do, that I desire to do, or I, I get to do, but God is sovereign and his plan works no matter what. It's just dependent on whether it's going to work in you or not. <clears throat> so God is desiring to pour his spirit out. He will pour his spirit out. Will the people that he desires to pour his spirit out be ready for it? Okay. So when you pray, he knows. You don't, have to, you don't have to try and convince him of something. He knows. He knows what you need. Now, you may not know what you need, but he knows what you need. Right? You're like, oh, God, I really want this. Uh, Steve, that would, like, ruin your life but I really like it. It's pretty. And it tastes like, you know, candy. Yeah, get out of that tree. That's death. And you're like, but I like it. God said, but it's going to kill you. I got something better. Now, um, <clears throat> so how should you pray? Well, in Luke chapter 11, um, it has the same story and it comes about it like this. There's a little bit more added he says, and one, when the disciples saw him praying, they came to him and asked, and said, hey, listen, how should we pray? Well, and it's the same prayer that we have here in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, and there are about uh, six steps in this prayer that I want to give you. Consider, y'all know what an octagon is? Eight sides? Well, we're going to do uh, a hexagon. So that's an octagon minus two, okay? Am I pressing you with my math? So it's like six sides, okay? <clears throat> I'm getting better. I can say the word math without cringing now. So that's a step in the right direction, you know? I still can't do my kids' math, but that's okay. That's, my wife can. My son the other day said, hey, Dad, didn't you have to do this? I said, yes, son. It was 35 years ago, and once I was done with the class, I forgot it and never wanted to go back, okay? I'm sorry. I wasn't realizing that a 12-year-old kid somewhere in my future would need my math experience. I wasn't forward-thinking on that. So you got your mother. Be happy. Okay. We all have our gifts in parenting. <clears throat> so here are some things that uh, we can look at. And listen, I'm, I'm going to try and I want to get you this. And maybe uh, we'll find a way to get you this. Maybe, maybe a bulletin insert or something like that. Uh, right now, my secretaries are like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? No, you're going to be fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. But this, it's a, and you can use this for when we go and do our, our prayer coming up. So first of all, let's look in Matthew, uh, again, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. He says, pray like this. First of all, you say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay. So this is the first char characteristic that we have in this prayer is the Father's character. And what is the Father's character? Jesus begins his prayer with uh, a simple word that embodies the important relationship with God. He, he calls him Father. Now, if you, if you have um, 
like a, a Bible app to where you can press those words and find out what the Greek is and what the Greek means and stuff like that. The word in there is, is potter, right? Because it's been, it's been written down for Greek. But people are believing that what, what Jesus would have said at that time is he would have used the word, probably coming from Aramaic. It's a semantic language. And so, um, which probably would have meant Abba. Now, before you get excited, um, the word Abba is not necessarily what you've been taught it to mean. Because there's a, there's a big thing that has moved around in the church for years that, you know, daddy, right? And little children running up to their daddy. And that's a nice thought. But the word doesn't really go that far. Okay? It's not saying anything less about God, but it's, it's really revealing the truth about God. Now, the Jews would have not prayed that particularly at all. So Jesus' use of that is, is strongly different and very relational. Now, it would include, like, the Father, someone who is loved, someone who is a good father, a, a, a dad, but it's not, it's not silly. And in some beliefs, the word Abba that a child would use in response to their father, the question or, or whatever, especially when it comes into uh, a command or a correction or something that the father would say, that term may also be not just, not just in the reference that you are a father, but you are a father and I will obey. There is a contingence of obedience in that reference to the term Abba. Now, why is that important? Because children... Um, do dumb things, don't they? And they, my children may call me dad. I don't think they've called, well, maybe when they were young, daddy, they may have said that. And, and, and that's good. But that, that doesn't mean they were always obedient. Okay? So this term, in its reflection, uh, our father who art in heaven, our father, I recognize you as, as father and I will obey what you say. That's, that's, not, that's not sinless perfection. So don't, don't think it's unattainable. It's, it's just a path. I've placed my life on the path of, I want to hear what my father says, and I, I just want to be obedient to that. The problem is, is we got a lot of people running around the church saying, Daddy, but they're not obedient to anything that he tells them to do. Ouch. So I'm going to call him Daddy. If I want to call him Abba, then I want to take everything that that word has and not just be silly with it. Because I'm messing with his name, people. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and let's look at the third commandment. What do you think the third commandment is? Anybody? Pretty. Oh. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, or do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Right now, growing up, many of us thought that was a curse word. Whenever you said God and then a curse after that, oh, 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 oh. That's very trivial in, can, when you're talking about what this is really saying in Exodus, right? First of all, what does he say first? And I'm so glad that you spoke last week in Sunday school because this really made a lot of things come to... But before Sunday school started, we were talking about what we were talking about. And, and you mentioned the first, right? Or you shall have no other gods before me. I'm thinking to myself, well, this, is, this is God talking. And he just said, you shall have no other gods. So if God said, you shall not have, a, you shall not have any other gods, what does that mean? There were other gods. Small G's. Still called Elohim, but not the capital Elohim. Everything in the spiritual realm is referred to as an Elohim. Every spiritual being is referred to as an Elohim. Okay? But God is the Elohim of Elohims. He is the God of gods. Okay? So your angels in are, are going to be considered Elohim small. Small Elise. Okay? And so this idea of... of of, and this is actually throughout the Old Testament that we're not going to go there right now because I don't want to freak anybody out. But, but what he's saying is, is that his name, 
do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because it's the most important name ever. Now, we know, you've been taught that even Jewish rabbis or whatever would not, were so concerned with the name of God that they would not pronounce the vowels and they wouldn't even write it out fully because they were so concerned of being attached to misusing it. Now, I understand the concept, but you can still not use his full name and misuse it in your heart, right? And so his name is poured, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy, honored is your name above everything else. Now, this name is honored far beyond your ability to recognize it. It's not like his name is honored because you recognize it. His name is honored because he is who he is. I am who I am. He doesn't have an insecurity problem. He's not like, I hope they recognize me of God. Gee, whiskers. You know, he's not, he doesn't have any problems. He's like, I'm it. It's not prideful because he can actually do what he says. He is God. Yahweh. He is when Moses comes up to talk, who shall I say it sent me? I am, baby. <laughs> I am that I am. What does Jesus respond? I am. And in the Greek, it's exactly the same as what the bush said. <laughs> I am. And when Jesus responds to those, who I am. So don't ever say that people never said, or that, that Jesus never said he was God. He said it all the time. And in ways that that culture at that time would understand exactly, which is why they picked up sticks and, to, and stones to kill him. Okay? Now, as you're looking through this, so we see that God's character, he is holy. He is holy. He is holy. The angels around the throne that shout, holy, holy, holy. When they write it three times, that means it's an emphasis. It's strong. It's loud. These guys are screaming, I mean, throughout eternity. It's not like, holy, oh, at the uh, quitting time. This is what they do. And even, they're even covered. Because the holiness is just so great. Which is why you understand the sin of the, um, of, of the enemy. Because he beheld it. And he rebelled against it. Ooh. He is holy, people. The angels do not surround the throne, shout, love! Although he is. They shout out, holy! And if you're concerned about his name, then what you want to make sure is you align yourself up with his characteristic, not what you think it should be, but who he truly is. Anything else is a misuse of who he is. His name is his character, holy! Holy! Holy. That's who he is. Oh, he's loving. And it's not like loving is less than holy, but we've gone the other route and said holy is less than loving. Because loving doesn't necessarily convict me, but his holiness does. And so that's why the church has drifted from holiness because she doesn't want to be convicted. She would rather be okay living as a whore than she would be as a true bride. Well, I prayed for an anointing. Whether they like it or not. Now, um, well, I'm so far off that. But anyway, holy. Holy is his name. And the church that catches fire with revival is the church that catches fire with who he truly is and honors it for that and changes them according to him, not him according to them. There are churches right now that have misused the name of God and they sound just like us. Some better, a lot better, right? But they changed his characteristics. And they said he's this, but he's no longer this. Who, who, who decided that one? Where did that come from? That came from because you don't want to be convicted. You want to live like you want to live and still claim to be his and under his covering. 
That didn't work so well with the Israelites. It ain't going to work so well with those who call themselves a church but have misused his name. And remember, I'm not talking about swear word. The other thing is like when I say that God said something and he didn't, you say, false prophets, yeah. And that's using the name in vain. So when people come, like, you know, people come and they say this. We call it pulling the God card, right? They come and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about this, and I'd really like your opinion, but this is what God said. Well, what does my opinion matter anymore if this is what truly God said? If God said, why do you need my opinion? What they're saying is, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to attach God to it, and then I'm just going to go do it because I'm not under the authority of anybody. You got to be careful with the God said stuff, especially over your own life. And before you say God said, you got to come and you got to, you maybe talk to some people who are godly as well. God is not going to get upset because you did the right thing in what he said. Is it God said, hey, I, I feel like God is telling me to do this. You come, you talk to maybe a couple elders and the elders are like, well, whoa, dude. Here's some truth of what I don't see in your life. So if God really did said this, you've got a long way to go in preparation. And most people, don't, they just want to go. They don't want to prepare. They don't want to do anything. God called me, so I'm just going to go do it. The world is full of people who have failed. Maybe God did say, but he didn't say take your pride with you and your arrogance because you're never going to access the calling of God on your life through your pride or your arrogance. And pride is not always like up yours. Pride is just like, I'll talk to you when I need you. I'll take it from here. And the church is, is full of arrogance. I remember, I'm reminded of the words of Paul when he talks about the sin of the world. He goes, and I am the chief one. Paul never forgot what he did and who he was before Jesus. Now, he was saved, he was delivered, he was doing the things that God had called him to do, but he was always reminded about he was a denier and he was a persecutor and he was the one that held the clothes of those who killed Stephen. I don't think that ever left him. I don't think it dominated him. But he wants to make sure people understand how serious it is when, we're, when we say we're, we're following God. So I'm, I remind myself, listen, you sin as good as anybody else. You have the propensity to sin as good as anybody else. So let that be. I remember somebody asking me um, a while back, and this, we got a long way to go, so we're, we're going to end because there's a, there's a lot more characteristics. But focusing on, on God's name, his name is so important. Now listen, oh man, could it just come now and we could just stay all day and God's spirit could come and we wouldn't care about the Super Bowl, but Jesus would do some stuff? Yeah, man, I mean, that's up to you. But, but here's what I'm thinking. So God's name is so holy that he, when he rescued the Israelites, now I understand that not everybody jumps into this holy, but there is some evidence to suggest that the plagues of the 10, uh, uh, of the ten plagues that happened were in direct reference to Egyptian gods. Okay? Now, not, not every scholar is going to just jump right in that bowl, but, but God does say that I will judge the Egyptian gods. Exodus 12, 12. He's like, I, I'm, I'm going to, if there are no other gods, how, what are you going to judge? Right? So this fallen realm that's deceiving man and, and, and man entering that, but, dis, but, you know, destroying his name of who he is, God comes down and says, I'm not going to let my name be defiled. I will show you who is in control of everything. And there were gods in Egypt that were over certain things of, of, of that affected where these plagues were, which means like, you know, there's a god of the Nile and it was his, his lifeblood. And what does God do? He changes the Nile into blood and everything dies. So there, is a, there's a, there can be possibly a direct correlation between the gods of Egypt and the plagues that, that the God did to show that he is all-powerful and almighty and he will not share his glory with any other god or any other human because no one can stand under the weight or measure up to his holiness. Except Jesus. Okay? 
All right. Oh, Jesus. So, his holiness. It has to be the banner cry of his church. Without losing love, or we'll drift right back over into legalism. I don't want legalism. I want holy fear of who he is, living in the joy that comes from his love. I want both. I don't want one or the other. I don't have to have one or the other. But I want them both working because they're both divine characteristics of who he is. He's all loving and he's all holy. And everything else I believe floats underneath those things. And he will not share his glory with anyone of earth. So you carry the presence of Almighty God within you. You carry it. You carry his name. And you've been given the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus. So you're righteous and holy in the eyes of the Father because of what Jesus has done. And the present, which is why the presence of God can, all, can dwell within you, which carries his name, which carries his work, everything. You get to do that. Not because you're perfect, but because you've been perfected through Jesus. But you, we want to honor that presence. We don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to grieve it by saying, yeah, I love Jesus, but there's nothing about your life or your deeds that show it. Nothing about your works. It's not that works is not in the equation. It's that works is after the equation. Faith comes first. Transformation then brings works. But if there is no transformation, there'll be no works. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So you profane the name of God. You profane his holy name. Because, oh, he's all loving. You know, I use his love as a license to keep on doing sin. And I profane his name. That's not holiness. That's not who he is. He's a God who transforms and changes people. Inspired by his love, but he gives them the holiness through Christ. And holiness is what keeps me in constant awe and holy fear of who he is. I can't treat him as common. Okay. Uh, five other characteristics that we will get to in the coming days. But man, he is holy. If his church could recite what his angels do. <laughs> holy, holy, holy. And I'm telling you right now, America... The world, the church, needs this message of his holiness today. He's not to be trifled. He's not to be mocked. He's full of grace. I'm not saying he's not, okay? I'm not saying he's not, but I'm saying I, I don't want my life to be a life that is constantly relying on about my, his grace because I'm constantly walking in my slip-ups. I'm constantly walking in my junk. I can be set freed from that. I can be set freed. You can be set free, walking and setting the course that he's called you to. And it begins by honoring the name of who he truly is. There's nothing that compares to him. Amen? All right. Not even Taylor Swift. I had to say it. It was there. She's probably going to be at the game. Good for her. But she doesn't stand in comparison to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Amen? All right, stand with me. You got to leave church laughing or what's the point, right? Okay. Father, in your name, you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is your name, God. I thank you for your holiness, Jesus. I, it scares me, but that's a good thing. I'm not living in fear of you, but I have a, a healthy, holy fear of who you are. And I want that to be more. Father, I, I just pray that you would hit us with that in Jesus' name. In, in, in your loving way, that you would, you would come and confront us with the holiness of who you are. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We love you. We desire you. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to wreck us to wreck us, to wreck us for good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at 
info.kingdomlife.aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.